This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. All right, everybody. We are coming off of filming yesterday's episode of Practicing Presence. So we're like pretty hyped up right now. Yeah. A lot of energy flowing. Yeah, we're, we're feeling pretty lively. Yeah. Um, if you didn't catch that episode, go back and listen to it. You'll probably at least get a couple laughs. You will get a couple laughs, at least at how impassioned we get about the topic. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, with that being said, um, I am dying to drink this beer. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so we have a treat tonight. Yes, we do. So we we live in the greater Houston area, for those of you who don't know. And one of the great Houston treasures is Saint Arnold's a brewery called St. Arnold's Brewing Company. And they have been voted the number one best medium-sized brewing company in the nation. And they are superb. They are one of our favorite breweries. And once a year... Around this time, they come out with a seasonal beer called the Pumpkinator. And it is an imperial stout that has pumpkin adjuncts. I have had it one other time, and it is superb. It is I don't... Have you had it before? Uh, I've had it with you before. I'm okay. pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. It is superb. They are hard to find. Yeah. If you don't go day one that they're released, which this year when they were released, I was not able to go, which means they are difficult to find. We got our hands on one today. Thanks to our boy Andrew at our local HEB. Yeah. We got one and we are sharing it tonight. Um, I almost had to go to the brewery today because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to find one. Yeah. Um, but um, good, good beer. I'm super excited to drink it. So no more talk talk. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. That is pumpkin pie in a glass. I, I don't know how they fit the pumpkin in the bottle. <laughs> uh, oh man. That's so good. Uh, it's such a good beer. Okay. So we have talked about the God the Father part. So we stopped and we talked about the Trinity first. Yeah, so that was, that was point number one. We we talked briefly about the Trinity and that very complex idea. Yeah. Then we moved to the God the Father part. Mm-hmm. Then we moved to God the Son part. Yep. Um, part one and part two, because there were two parts to that. Yep. Um, very in-depth, very detailed um, very complex. Yeah, there would definitely we could definitely do more with them, but I think they're a good foundational piece to cover all the high points. Uh, but like in any level of theology, you can always go below and deeper below the surface. Yeah. Um, and now we're on the Holy Spirit part. Mm-hmm. So, um, Mister. Theologian, theology nerd, walk us through this a bit. Okay, so first I will say, unless you come from a charismatic or Pentecostal expression, 
it is likely that you have a very low pneumatology. So yeah. pneumatology is the study of the spirit. Uh, pneuma is spirit. It is likely that you have very low pneumatology. Um, it is also likely that you have functionally replaced the spirit with the Bible. Also very true. Um, I know that I know a lot of people who fall into that category. Yeah. That the spirit is by and large, especially if you come from a tradition uh, that is cessationist, mm. that meaning the higher gifts of the spirit, the ones that are talked about at first Corinthians 14 yeah. have ceased. Uh, if you come from a tradition like that, so the main one or the main expression of that would be Southern Baptist. A yeah. lot of Southern Baptists are cessationist. So if you come from a cessationist expression or tradition, it is really likely that you have replaced the spirit yeah, with functionally the with the Bible. And um, just to kind of recap, if you come from a tradition that doesn't necessarily believe in the gift of tongues and interpretation, um, uh, uh, prophecy, right? Forthtelling prophecy. Right. They would replace prophecy with preaching. Right. Um, those are the higher gifts that Cullen talked about. Um, that Or um, and, and miraculous healing. And miraculous healing, correct. Um, if you come from a t- tradition that doesn't believe that, um, more than likely you have replaced the Spirit with the Bible. Yep. Or, or it's possible. It's possible. Yeah, I'm not going to say more than likely. Yeah, it's definitely okay. possible. That's that's better way to say it. Yeah. That you've done that. But we believe in a trinity, three persons of one Godhead, of which one of those is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the creed says in the third part, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. This is really interesting because if you go back and read John 5, um, he talks about his Jesus' own submission to the Father. And throughout John's gospel, you get this idea of the Spirit. And the leaning piece, like the overarching theme, is that it's his Spirit. He even says at one point, I will give you my Spirit. So when Jesus is the like when Jesus says I'm the way the truth and the life yeah. no one gets to the father except through me you should think of it as life life is a tunnel Jesus is the doorway the spirit is the hallway and God the father is the room at the end of it so when it says the Lord, the giver of life, it's a rela- it's a statement about the relationship of the Spirit to Jesus, but it's also to point the Spirit's role in the life-giving act of God. That's interesting. Yeah, so the analogy for my theologian friends, I know that it's limiting. Um, I'm trying here, but um, yeah, so I think... 
I think for the average person, that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. That if life were a category and it were a journey, Jesus would be the doorway. The Holy Spirit. Spirit would be the hallway and God the Father would be the end room. Yeah. I guess I've never heard it explained that way. That's an interesting way to explain it. Yeah, that's unique to me. Um, okay. It's just something that I've come up with over the years. But, and I understand it has its limitations for those of you that are deeper in theology. Right. Uh, because we also experience life through Jesus in assimilation to him divine likeness, deification, all those types of things. I understand that's limiting, but I also don't want to minimize the spirit's role in that. Um, it's also going to be like people who have a hard line between justification, sanctification and glorification, um, are, well, you may have mixed feelings on that, but those of us who have like a deification view of sanctification, um, I'm not going to, like, I don't personally like that as much in in the overall journey of life because I don't think those are three distinct markers. I think those are positions that we're trying to get to. So, like, where a standard Protestant would say justification, sanctification, glorification are markers in the journey of faith, justification being the point in which you've experienced um, redemption, or regeneration, um, sanctification, anything after that and up to the point of glorification, which is where you turn into your like deified body. Mm -hmm. For me, I don't think they're like when I read Paul, I don't think they're that hard lined. Mm. I don't think they're that defined. Uh, to another extent, I don't think that glorification can really be talked about only in eschatology. Mm. Um, Moses seems to have a pretty glorified experience when he comes down from the mountain. Mm -hmm. He's glowing. Yeah. Uh, if if I could ever singly, singularly point to a deified body outside of Jesus at the resurrection, it's Moses. Yeah, I mean, he was physically present with God. And leaves that experience ontologically different. Yeah. Uh, um, at least for a time. Right. Uh, define ontologically. Yeah. For a minute. Um, study of being. Okay. Like he, his being is different because yeah. of that moment. Um, so, so all of that say, I don't know that they're that defined in, in the structure like that, mm. but it is a simplified way to talk about what they're trying to say in that he's the Lord and the giver of life. It's, yeah. it's a statement on the relationship to Jesus and his role in salvation. Okay. So it goes on and says he proceeds from the father and the son. So that's what I was talking about in John five, where he says, I do nothing, uh, without my father's willing, like mm. outside of his authority. And I will give you my son, like my, I will give you my spirit. It's this, um, it's not a hierarchy, but our, our natural metaphor theory and the way that our language works, we would think of it this way, that God the Father is the source of godness. Mm. And then God the Son exists from God the Father. And then it's the Spirit from God the Son. Okay. So um, it 
it flows in such a way because once again, we're a line trying to explain a cube. Right. But if you think about it this way, we have this statement in that God the Father is like God the Father, the Almighty. Like he's the one. Then we have God the Son who's begotten of the Father, right? You remember that language? Yeah. Well, now we have this is the Spirit of God. It comes from the Father through the Son. This is the Spirit. So it's a way of interconnecting them all while making them distinct. Mm. Because they are, right? We see them. Uh, there's difference between them. Right. God the Father is, you know, he's God the Father. He's God. He's the ethereal God that we think of. But then we have God the Son who manifests himself in Jesus. And then yet, while God the Father is supreme, we have the Holy Spirit who is the omnipresent peace of God that is indwelled in the people of God. And so they all have their unique role to play in salvation. And they all like they go through this progression as we think about it. You shouldn't think of it as a hierarchy. Right. You should right. think it as a linear progression, not as a vertical one. Right. That that's your idea of the hallway. Right. Right. It's a linear progression. Right. It's a linear progression. Jesus opens you up into the hallway, which is the spirit. The spirit then guides you, you to God the Father. Yep, yep. It's linear. There's no stairs involved. Right. Um, and it continues. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. This is where most of our Protestant expressions fail. Mm. The Holy Spirit is not worshipped and glorified. Mm. See, we used to say we... Christendom used to end prayers by saying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I actually still do that. Okay. I will. Why did we stop? Because of the Protestant Reformation. Because Catholics do it. Right. That's why. And what happens is in, in that unique moment, we abandoned any true expression of the Trinity mm. that we had left. Yeah. yeah. Um, just the way it is. And so if you came out of the Protestant Reformation and you didn't end up in a charismatic movement, which truth is, so Protestant Reformation happens in the early 1500s. Mm -hmm. And then it's not until Azusa Street in the early 1900s that you get contemporary Pentecostalism. Mm. Okay. Azusa Street happens, correct me, any of our charismatic people that are listening, I think it's 1907. Please, somebody let me know in the comments or, or email me, but I'm pretty sure it's 1907 that Azusa Street happens. And so, you go about 400 years, almost to the day, mm -hmm. I think the process, I think the 95 Theses with Martin Luther happened in 1514. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, so, you almost... You, you go about 394 years, 393 years, something like that, um, without a true expression that has um, a vital understanding of the Holy Spirit. 
Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. I'm I'm looking up right now when the Protestant Reformation happened. Um, fifteen seventeen of the ninety five seventeen. Yeah, fifteen seventeen to the ninety five theses. Um. So yeah, you go you go just under four hundred years. Okay. Wow. With without a true like easy definition and like expression of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You have the Baptists that arise that are really trying to limit the spirit. They're trying to be primitive. So they guide their stuff by scripture and by spontaneous prayer, but they don't pursue healing acts. Mm-hmm. Um, they really, you know, most people don't know this. You, you know, the conversation around Baptist life is, are you Arminian? Are you like reformed? But originally when that started, the Arminian church, the Arminian Baptist arm goes off and is basically extinct now. Yeah. More or it's less. called, it's now called the free will Baptist church. That's like the historic Baptist Arminius expression. And they're all but extinct. Um, everyone else has been born out of regular Baptist or separate Baptist, which are reformed Baptist. Yeah. So like we should, and if you don't know, Wells church is a Baptist church. Right. Um, so like you should, you should know that, but by and large, the Baptists really limited this role of the spirit. Lutherans limit the role of the spirit because they're, they're liturgical. Um, and so really you go quite a long ways. I mean, you go several hundred years, um, before you re-encounter like a true expression. I mean, you get the Wesley's in the late 1800s, right? but even their understanding of the spirit is less powerful and impactful than, than others. And we would theologically we would say oh that's the work of the spirit but a right. true desiring of the outpouring of the holy spirit or or an expression of the spirit like we see in acts 2 or in acts in general we don't get again until like 1907 you know you and i and um someone else this this past sunday at one of the wells talked about this remember um when we um started talking about uh, modern works of the spirit, you know, as related to Bethel church with the, the gold dust. And the oh feather. yeah. Yeah. Um, um, we, we talked about that um, and how it's very easy to go. Yeah. They're full of it. Right. Um, but you don't know. Right. Exactly. You don't know. God works outside of the box that you've built for him. Yeah. Um, and so in that way, like the spirit is that active agent in spiritual experiences. Yeah. And I think there's a whole lot we can do with that. Uh, at, at one point, I'm, I'm trying to get my friend uh, Mike Skinner on here. He's a pastor in the greater Houston area. Great guy. Uh, and he's done some recent work on uh, spiritual experiences and their relation with psychoactive drugs. I think it'd be perfect for a Pints and Perspective episode, but um, spiritual experiences are the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like, no way around it. Like, they're the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, he is to be worshipped and glorified with the Father and the Son. 
we do a really good job in Protestantism of worshiping the Father. Yeah. We say, God our Father, mm-hmm. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? We do a really good job of him. We do a really good job of focusing on the cross. We do a really good job of focusing on the resurrection. We do an okay job focusing on the ascension, which I think is important, but we don't talk about it that much. Maybe that's another episode we go into. But we spend a lot of time talking about Jesus. Unless you're charismatic, you spend little time talking about the Spirit. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, And I think that that's probably true across Christendom. Um, Yeah, unless you're charismatic. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to clarify that. That that's not specific to Protestantism. Um, oh, fair, fair. Uh, you think that's present in the Catholic Church too? I think it's present in in, in the Catholic Church, and uh, um, I think to to some extent. Yeah, I think. Right. Well, the Catholic Church has always had this problem where they have an arm of the Catholic Church, which is the monasteries. Right. And so, but but they but the, what happens in the monasteries actually never makes it over into the church, the institution. Yeah. Um. So and there's so this weird you, disconnect. Yeah, so you can have like a Catholic monk that is highly charismatic. Oh, absolutely. We had one come and preach when I was at uh, Houston Baptist. Really? Super charismatic. Preached on 1 Corinthians 14. Really? Yeah, super charismatic. Um, but like the Catholic Church isn't. Right. And and, and that's more what I'm meaning. And, yeah. Um, I don't actually know if this happens in like uh, uh, Greek Orthodoxy or um, the Anglican Church or the Episcopalian Church. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not too familiar with their ideas on um, charismatic theology. Yeah, so I can tell you that in the Orthodox Church, uh, and not just Greek. So Clayton said Greek Orthodox. Right, I said right. But Orthodox is an expression. It's a tradition in itself. Yeah. You can have Russian Orthodox. You have Greek right. Orthodox. You can have whatever. Um, but in Orthodox traditions, they do a much better job of talking about the spirit okay. because their soteriology is deification. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. the Orthodox Church is the the mainline church that still holds to deification. Okay, okay. And I don't know about Anglican or Episcopalian, but I, I just think that generally across the board, we don't do a good job talking about the spirit, correct? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, so... Okay, cool. So, so well, not we're, just we're, talking about the spirit, right? But the creed says worship. worship, right? So, what would be? Do you think in in your mind would be a good way to worship the spirit? Well, first, like acknowledging is, his existence, right? <laughs> but to another point, I think, um, and, you know, maybe this is something that I need to do, but returning back to acknowledging him in a consistent way, like in the name of the father, the son and the Holy spirit. Yeah. Um, I do it sometimes, but I don't do it all the time. Right. Uh, which we, we typically see it in like baptisms, like in Protestantism. Oh, I baptize you in the name of the father, the son and the Holy spirit. Yeah. But outside of that, we don't really see it. Yeah. Um, you might see it if you had a really, like if you had a more liturgical church that, like a more liturgical Baptist church that followed the church calendar, right? You might see it at Pentecost, right, right, right. For sure. Um, you might hear it glossed over at Christmas that Mary's conceived of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, but by and large, like in most Baptist churches, you're not going to hear Romans 8 preached. that The Spirit prays for us yeah. in groans and utterings unknown to us. Like, you're not going to hear that. Um, no. Um, so, I think that, um, I don't know, man. Like, uh, I've been having a really hard time lately with this specific idea. Of, of of pneumatology, yeah. Like, how do we acknowledge the spirit? Yeah, in a, in a, uh, in a way that that makes um, that, that makes sense. Because in, in Protestantism, we know how to acknowledge um, God the Father and God the, God the Son, right? Yeah. Um, now, <laughs> there is a song uh, called "Holy Spirit," right? Yeah, um, that is specific to the spirit, right? Yeah. Um, the, the lyrics, the the first part of that song is "Holy Spirit, you are welcome here." Right. Uh, and I think that's really impactful um, to open up your heart and say you're welcome here to work in whatever way you see fit. Um, you know, there's uh, that text in. The Thessalonian literature, uh, I can't remember if it's first or second. I'm sure one of our listeners will let me know. But it says, do not stifle the Spirit. Mm, yeah. Uh, I think that's a good way of worshiping the Spirit, is not minimizing His work. Mm. Um, because I do think that, especially for people who like have heard a narrative or had bad experiences with um, charismatic gifts. Yeah. Um, really do intentionally try to stifle the spirit at times because they're overcorrecting against their negative experience. And I know for a fact that this happens. I've had experiences with this. So I spent quite a bit of time in a charismatic uh, adjacent space expression and have a lot of mentors that are uber charismatic and I've had experiences where, I mean, dude, I, I'd have thought they were reading my mail. Yeah. Uh, just like, yeah, me too. The prophetic just coming out of them. Um, where I've had these experiences where they basically like read my mail. Um, but then I've also had some where they tried and I was like, bro, you couldn't have been more far off. Yeah. And so because of those experiences of rejection, we end up finding people where they don't do this or they have a bad experience with it. I remember one situation, I'm going to use, I'm not going to use names, but there was one situation where someone was guest speaking somewhere and someone told their spouse something. The speaker never spoke to their spouse about the thing, but then stood on the stage and gave a word of knowledge, gave a prophecy about that issue. The person left because they had previously spoken on that issue to their spouse about it, left thinking it was all flukes, like it was all a hoax. Um, rather than, as Paul says, test these things. Right. Like, Test the spirits here. Yeah. 
they just said it's a hoax like it's garbage like not gonna do this that's stifling the spirit yeah um yeah that's one and i think another way that we stifle the spirit this is in first corinthians 14 this is verse one it says pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy so in other translations, um, and in just a minute, I'll pull my Greek Bible out and tell you what I think. But it says, uh, strive for the higher gifts in other translations. Yeah. Um, so this idea that, you know, there are some gifts that are given to all of us. Yeah. Like not every person has the same gift and not every person has every gift, but there are a, a certain amount of gifts that are given to us at our regeneration. Um, you know, like maybe it's teaching, maybe it's administration, hospitality, you know, whatever. The, those ones that are in Romans 12 and, um, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12. But then you get to 1 Corinthians 14. There seems to be this other category of gifts. Right. Prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, miraculous healing. Um, that we're told to pursue, to strive for. Um, and... First Corinthians 13 sandwiched right in the middle of that, the love chapter, right? But, excuse me. I think another way that we stifle the spirit and don't worship and glorify him is literally by ignoring his work or not striving for the things that he's involved in. Mm. So what you're saying is embracing our spiritual gifts. Yeah, I think embracing them, living in them, acting in them, um, and trying to use them. Right. I'm convinced that that's what the parable of the talents is about. Oh. Is that people have been given something, they're not using it, and so God takes it away and gives it to somebody else who will use it. So this is supposed to to mimic a barroom conversation where we talk about theology. Can I uh, question that for a second? Sure. We, we talk about um, Scripture being written to a specific audience for a specific reason yep um this was before pentecost right so the spirit isn't necessarily present on the earth um, yeah so, so spiritual gifts could they be a thing yeah probably not the only rebuttal i would make there is i make an exception to that with parables because they're an earthly reality that communicate a spiritual truth, which means that there's not one interpretation of them. Mm. There can be multiple interpretations based okay. on how you read that. Fair enough. Um, so definitely, I think what Jesus means is it's like whatever happens with um, the person who holds the gospel message for themselves. Mm -hmm. But I think then you can expound on that based on the 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 wholeness of scripture and say oh hey this is also about um it, it could also be about spiritual gifts yeah it fair enough be. that's that's a fair point um so yeah and the word there is um in first corinthians 14 is earnestly desire yeah it's like this idea of seeking or or in pursuit of um, eagerly desiring, pursuing after, attaining a goal, like seeking after these gifts. And we don't do that. 
I mean, no. by and large, if if you come from a charismatic expression, you probably do. But if you come from a non-charismatic expression, you're trying everything you can to ignore those gifts. Yeah. Um, whereas Paul says, you should really be seeking these. Now, yeah. I think there's some other things that Paul does there. Um, but we've done an overcorrection. Yeah. In these, right? Yeah, I think that's um, fair. The idea of an overcorrection um, is fairly self-explanatory, but just in correct. case, um, while Cullen is checking his phone, what he's saying is that you realize that there is a problem on an extreme, so you go to the other extreme. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the creed continues on and it says, he spoke through the prophets, which is once again to say that He's been at work for a long time. Yeah. Like, it's not unique in this situation. Like, when donkeys speak words, when miracles happen in the Old Testament, when the walls of Jericho fall, like, when these moments of miracles happen, that's the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, I think uh, in a few weeks, my friend Adam Cheney is going to come on here and we're going to do several episodes on pneumatology. Don't hold me to this uh, because I haven't got the confirmation from him. And I'm putting this in here anyways. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, bro. He'll be, he'll, he'll be good with it. Yeah. But Adam Adam always was fascinated by this idea of Old Testament pneumatology. Uh, the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament. Because there seems to be this really uniqueness. Like, there's something special about what happens in Acts 2 at Pentecost. Yeah. But it's not to say the spirit wasn't active before that. Right. The thing that's unique is that now it's indwelled in the people of God. Right. Whereas before it was at work around them. Right. Mm. There's something different now that God is living in us, that we've become the temple. Yeah. And before that, the spirit was limited by being outside of us. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So, continuing on here, this is the end of the creed about the Holy Spirit. Like, that's the final statement on the Spirit. And these are some very general statements. So, this episode may be a bit long, but it's not enough content for a whole other episode. But it says, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Yeah. That does not mean... It, it the did, Roman Catholic Church. No, it means unified. It means, yeah, unified, universal church. Yeah. We believe in one holy, universal church yeah. and which that church is apostolic. Yeah. Um, that word apostolic is extremely important. Um, it means sending. Yeah. Um, it means a people on a mission. Right. Uh, I do have a really funny story about uh, this part of the creed. Okay. Um, when, uh, I, I was, I was at a church one time and it was right after that song, this, I believe by Hillsong United came out. Okay. And I was at a point in my life where I was really critical <laughs> and probably too pretentious. Um, and we, me and a buddy of mine, we were walking out of uh, a worship service and, um, I was like, you know, I'm just, 
I don't know how I feel about that song because they changed the word uh, Catholic because that's not what Catholic really meant, right? And they changed it because they're not the, quote, Catholic church. Right. And, and I, I kind of complained about that a little bit. And he goes, but we're not the Catholic church. <laughs> and I was like, but we are. <laughs> yeah, but we are. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. But yeah. yeah, it happens. But yeah, we believe in one universal church that is apostolic. Yeah. So we believe that under the umbrella of Christendom, that Roman Catholicism fits under that umbrella, yeah. Anglicanism, the Orthodox tradition, Episcopalians, uh, Methodists, Presbyterians, Pentecostals, Baptists. I think I've hit most of the like major denominations. But yeah. we believe that there is one unified church in many expressions, but of which they are all apostolic. Yes, We are a people on a mission for the kingdom of God. Amen. Like that's what the creed is trying to do. And remember, when this creed is written in the 300s, there is only one church. That's right. It's not until much later that the East and the West what eventually becomes the Catholic church and the Orthodox church split into their own things. At this point, there is one church. Yeah. And I love this. I'm going to read this and we're going to talk about it. But this last part of the creed is so beautiful when you read it in whole. It says, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead into life in the world to come. Amen. Mm. Like, the whole thing is so beautiful. Yes, it is. We've talked about the Holy Catholic and the Apostolic Church, but it says we affirm one baptism. Yeah. Now, I think they mean one type of baptism. Okay. Baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I equally think that they mean... For the forgiveness of sins. Oh, 100%. They they believe that baptism is salvific. Yeah. When they're writing this, baptism is a piece of salvation. So they would point you to Romans 6, that this is our participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Of which he only did one time. Right. For them, this is a very important moment. Um. And people took this very seriously. I would remind you of people during the Reformation that literally drowned people for baptizing others a second time. Yeah. Um, Which, okay. Like, I think, honestly, <sighs> it's honestly, and I swear, I'm working through this in my own theology, but. It's stories like that amongst some other theological issues that I'm wrestling with that I feel like the Protestant church needs to reimagine a purgatory because mm. I don't know how I don't know how John Calvin's in heaven with that theology. Yeah. If if there's no purgatory, that dude's just a murderer. Yeah. Um and and that's when it becomes sorry, I'm I'm trying to look for something very specific. Um but uh I don't, it, it becomes very difficult 
right to 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 talk about these things in, in relation to the church and the church collectively has done some horrific things throughout the oh centuries. in the in the name of the church in yeah. the name of the church we have done horrific yeah things um and maybe that's an episode that we should do on here is the idea of protestant purgatory oh for sure we we should uh I might be able to get Jerry on here. So, like, the leader in Protestant uh, theology of purgatory is a guy named Jerry Walls. He was a philosophy professor at HBU, professor of mine. Right. Like, I might be able to call him and get him on here. You should um, try. But, so, I think there are elements of that that you have to do. But, yeah. for the creed purposes, we're from one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. now, if you're a Protestant, it's very likely that you don't like that language. More than likely you don't. One baptism for the forgiveness of sins. However, I would invite you to do a quick Google search of that phrase, for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. You will find that Jesus used Jesus himself used that language multiple times. So no matter how you feel about this creed, you have to do your own wrestling with what Jesus means by that. Yeah. For the forgiveness of sins. All they're doing is repurposing Jesus's own language. That's right. It's one baptism. Jesus says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Mm -hmm. They're just repurposing Jesus's own language. Yeah. So if if that language frightens you, you need to go back and wrestle that out with Jesus because that's in Scripture. And the last phrase, this beautiful piece here, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. So final statements on eschatology. We look forward in the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about both the resurrection of Jesus, but also the general resurrection of the dead. Right. Um, I would call you back to Old Testament hyperlink in Ezekiel 37. Mm. Say to these dry bones yeah. that they will live. Yeah. Uh, a beautiful prophetic apocalyptic passage there in Ezekiel 37. Look forward in the life to come. The eternal culmination of the restoration of heaven and earth back together. Mm. This this thing that we're awaiting and looking forward to, amen and amen. Right. That is what the creeds are ending with is eschatology. That there is, you know, in, in Protestantism specifically, we have an idea that um, the creeds, or I'm sorry, in Protestantism, we have an idea that eschatology is its own thing. Right. And that heaven is a place that we're trying to go. Yeah. The creeds didn't have that idea. No. The patristic fathers, the early church, didn't have that idea. Uh, they believed that the goal of Christendom was not for humanity to float away to heaven, but for humanity to act in such a way that inaugurated Jesus returning heaven to earth. Mm. That is what's embodied in that final statement. 
that yeah. there's coming a time where Jesus is bringing heaven back to earth the way that it was always supposed to be. Yeah. We're going to talk about this in another point, but just as a, a teaser here, if your eschatology is so far removed from your protology that you think heaven is an ethereal place removed from this earth, I would invite you to go read your Bible again. God once made this the way he intended it to be. We screwed it up. Mm-hmm. And the biblical narrative is him trying to fix it. Yeah. Don't think that it's a do-over. It's a restoration. Mm. Yeah. Good point. Um, good point. We need to talk about this more. Um, yeah, we'll do some episodes later, on it on a later episode. Um, but overall, that is the Nicene Creed, and there's a yeah. lot of teasers in there. I mean, we we probably got another hundred episodes of different things we can talk about from this. Yeah, for sure. So, um, thanks for joining us. This was the last episode on the Nicene Creed. Um, I invite you to join us again next week to talk about the Apostles' Creed. Thank you.